0: Last week's CD, which I highly recommend if you're going to follow this series at all, it kind of lays the groundwork, and you know that our series is Reconciling Science in the Bible, so last week was part one. There's a bunch of them if you want to take one. If you remember, our talk last week was about going beyond the ten-word answer, and it was really trying to find out how we as Christians can be prepared to give answers that are not just going to be, well, they're not just going to be short-change answers. They're not just gonna be political rallying cries. They're actually gonna be answers that we can give that engage people, that answer the real question. We started just simply by asking why even take time, since we're gonna be doing it for a number of weeks, why even take time to study this subject? Is it worthy of our time? Are we honoring God by spending this time? And the reasons we identified would be obviously that our witness is, is heavily affected If you were here last week, you remember that we've lost the presumption as Christians, because it took us so long to formulate answers, and we still don't have them. So when we try to witness to others, it seems like the best way to destroy our witness is to throw up questions we can't answer. And in this area, we seem to be lacking a lot of answers. And that is how science and the Bible seem to square off if they do at all, most of us would be very hard pressed to come up with any kind of answers. The second reason we studied it in depth last week, the secularization of America and how secular everything is becoming in our country. We studied the root reasons why. We went back a little ways and looked at it. We looked at the Scopes trial last week, I think in a fair amount of detail, to try to look at the roots. And, you know, I have to tell you that regarding the Scopes trial, that was something that I kind of identified the first time I studied it, just because being somebody who went to law school, I love trials and I love studying them. The first time I studied the Scopes trial, it really hit me how dramatically it changed American landscape. But I'm not alone in this thought. As I've been reading more and more people commenting about secularization in America and science and religion, all of them seem to point to the Scopes trial. So it looks like I wasn't the only one that just kind of came to that conclusion. It seems like a lot of people on their own came to that same conclusion, that the Scopes trial was really a turning point in America for us, And it's cited by both sides of the argument, even in the young earth, old earth creationism, which we're going to talk about tonight. And finally, we talked about 1 Peter 3.15, about the commandment that we always need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And sadly, many of us are just not very prepared. So that was our groundwork from last week. Tonight, what we're going to be doing is looking at what I call a framework for understanding science. Most times when you study science in the Bible, you immediately take a position as to whether you're going to adopt an old earth view, a young earth view, or just neither of those and just study science purely the way it is. I think it's fair for us to first start with understanding a framework for what science is about. Tonight's a little theoretical. Tonight's a little philosophical. But I don't want you to lose the importance of tonight because the reason Christians fight The reasons Christians are divided is because they don't have a framework. They haven't agreed on the basic fundamental way to deal with science. They start with different presumptions. They talk loudly at one another. Sometimes they argue. This is actually probably one of the most heated areas of Christian debate. But they never actually calm down long enough to set the ground rules. I'd like to set some ground rules tonight so maybe we can be smarter than everyone else at least in terms of first setting ground rules before we start debating. I think there has to be some parameters, and that's what we're gonna do tonight. So go to the next slide, if you could, Alicia. The first thing we're gonna start off with is a couple questions. Just think about these in your head for a moment. I think we're gonna kinda answer them, but I want you to first just listen to the question. We have to first ask ourselves, what is science? If we're gonna try to reconcile science in the Bible, we have to understand, what is science? What are we gonna define science as? And what is the role of a scientist? I'm going to put forward tonight that science is going to be the discovery of the natural laws of the universe that God created. That might be one definition. Okay? I think it's a pretty good one. You might have another one about what science is. But we need to identify what it is before we start arguing whether science and the Bible are in any way congruent, whether they conflict, because your definition of science might be something different. When you hear the word science, you may have a bias that was put in you, maybe by the church you went to or something that tells you that science is just a bunch of secular people who are trying to build a religion of their own. They're trying to disprove the Bible, so they use science. Or maybe you come from the sciences, or you come from a scientific background, so your bias on science is, it's the only way we could ever know truth, is to test something, to put up a model and then see if it actually goes through. So think about it. What, what do you think science is? What is the role of a scientist? Are they just evil people who are trying to rip apart religion or are they actually on a quest to figure out the truth on their own? Does a scientist want to know truth or are they trying to, they have an agenda that they're trying to go after? What are we going to do with the biases that are inherent in scientific analysis? We could pretend all day long that people aren't biased, but we know that even when you start putting together a hypothesis, you already have a bias as to what you think the answer might be. We have to just acknowledge that there are biases. What are we going to do with them? Are we going to throw out all scientific reasoning because there might be biases, or do we just work around them? Do you guys even know what the scientific method is? The idea of taking a hypothesis, trying to predict a result, and then testing it over and over, and seeing if the actual result comes about, and then you publish that to the world and say, this is what I believe my model shows. You test it. And tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I think I've been able to prove this one hypothesis. And then the whole world kind of takes shots at it as long as they can. And everybody throws up objections. And One day, maybe after a long period of time, it's, it's withstood scrutiny so long that it becomes generally accepted. And just a question here. Is it possible that all the scientists from all over the world, from all faiths and backgrounds, have given up their independence and have joined a worldwide conspiracy to defraud the Bible? Or just claim that the Bible is not true to disprove it? Because there are actually people who believe this. Who believe that when they say science, as if there was like just a church of science somewhere out there where all the people get together and their goal is to tear down the Bible. Now I'm taking a little bit different approach than last week. Last week we talked about secularization. I told you I do believe that there is an agenda in the world to rip apart Christianity because it's the last thing that stands in between people doing whatever the heck they want in this world. So people have an interest in disproving Christianity. And that may be the bias that scientists come from. Maybe they think that they have an interest in disproving Christianity because it's the last thing that stands in the way of just absolute freedom for mankind. We can throw out morality once and for all if we just get rid of those Christians. But I tend to think that the person who's a scientist probably has different biases. And I'll show you a little bit later on what I mean. Tonight, if you take those questions, keep them in the back of your mind, we're going to be studying a young earth view versus an old earth view and looking at how Christians, without even addressing the scientific community, have decided to make war upon themselves. You guys know that in every battle, if you want to defeat the enemy, what's the best way to defeat them? Just have them split into two camps and fight themselves you can just stand back, right? You don't have to do anything. All right. So if you think science is the enemy, maybe even if you don't, if you think science is attempting to disprove the Christian view of creation, we've done the job for them because they don't even have to attack us. All we have to do as Christians is just reach out across the aisle and choke each other to death, which is kind of what we're doing in our churches. How many people know what a young earth view is? Anybody know what a young earth view is? Old earth? going to give me a definition of a young earth view of, of creation? Earth is 6,000 years old, okay, or less. What's it based on? It's based on genealogy. What else is it based on? There's like two key things that I think it's based on. One is the genealogy and the six-day creation. So take those two things together. Young earth Christians believe that there are six literal days in creation And then the genealogy of all of the people in the Bible are given their ages. So if you add them all up, you get an earth that was created in six days, plus about 4,000 years of genealogy from the time that Adam was created till the time that Christ came. And of course, we're about 2,000 years from then. So you get a 6,000 year old earth. Okay, that's a young earth creationist view. Now, they have more intricate beliefs than just that, but that's kind of where they start, all right? So now that you know what a young Earth creationist believes, what about an old Earth creationist? That's somebody who believes that the Earth is older than 6,000 years old, okay? They actually believe it's much, much older. Most, most, and I won't say all, but most old Earth creationists believe that the six days mentioned in Genesis were not literal 24-hour days, they were periods of time. Remember last week when we talked about the Scopes trial, when Brian was on the stand and he was asked about the six literal days of creation, he even back in 1925 was able to say, I don't believe there were 24-hour days, I think there were periods. And the fundamentalist movement, which he represented, he was the head of, basically lambasted him for departing for such orthodox theology as the six literal days they called him basically a coward and somebody who was trying to make peace with the scientists okay so notice that these two views kick off a huge debate about the meaning of science scripture and everything else let's look at a young earth view go to the next slide if you could alicia this is a young earth view let me read it to you it's a little bit hard to see on the screen so i'm going to actually read it It says this there's a quote It is a great pity that many Christians are willing to reinterpret the infallible word of God to fit a fallible man-made theory like the Big Bang. Such ideas are ultimately devised to counter the biblical record, which is firmly against cosmic evolution over billions of years. Those who urge trying to harmonize the Big Bang with scripture find it only natural to go on to other evolutionary ideas, Such as primitive earth gradually cooling down, death and struggle millions of years before the fall, and so on. Quotation, Dr. Werner Gitt. He writes for a very famous group that's in the Young Earth Creationist camp called Answers in Genesis. He's a doctor. He's a known scientist guy. Okay? Let me point out some observations to you about this. Being the lawyer that I am, I can't help but watch some things. I have to point out, if this expert took the stand, I'd have to ask him a few questions. Let me tell you what I would ask him. First of all, his Ph.D., if you notice, is in Information Science, Mathematics, and Engineering. I'd want to know, and and you know my bias is a little bit in the old Earth camp, let me try to be very fair tonight, but I would want to know as a question, as a Ph.D. in Information Science, Mathematics, and Engineering, are you qualified to discuss cosmology like the Big Bang Theory and astronomy and astrophysics? Just a question that I think is fair for us to ask. But notice what his view really boils down to. It's a pity that Christians are willing to reinterpret the infallible Word of God. He starts with the presumption that the Word of God is infallible, and this is very important, because Both sides are going to say that it's infallible, but notice what they mean by the word infallible. He is presuming the infallibility of the word of God is already known to mankind in perfection so that it's science that must be wrong if it conflicts with the infallible word of God. And anybody who's trying to reconcile anything with the infallible word of God is going to end up, he uses a slippery slope argument, slipping into all sorts of evolutionary ideas. Okay, so what his basic argument is, we know what the infallible word of God is. It's created in six days. Anything that conflicts with that is foolishness. Because God has already told us it's six days. So if you're trying to prove a Big Bang theory that takes place over billions of years, you're already a fool. Because you're conflicting with the word of God. So the argument begins for a young earth creationist always with, we know the word of God. And if you look at this distinction, you'll be eons ahead of most people who understand or who've ever studied science and religion. Just understanding the difference of where they begin, the framework, is what nobody ever pays attention to because we're caught up in these 10-word arguments where we're yelling at each other across the aisle without actually even listening to what the argument actually is. So I'm putting forward to you my own theory tonight that the young earth creationist always begins with the infallible word of God is known to us, it's been revealed and therefore any error must lie in science. Keep that in mind because we're going to look at the other approach. Rather than understand what each other are fighting about, they're talking about all the other things that, that flow out of that without understanding the root cause of the argument, okay? So from my perspective as I'm analyzing an argument, the first thing I'm doing is I need to understand your assumptions to understand if they're valid or not. So tonight you'll see we're dissecting assumptions more than we're saying who's right and who's wrong. Look at the old Earth view of science. Okay? It's a little more complicated. You'll notice that the old Earth view of science as articulated almost sounds like a geometric proof. It has a lot of if, then, therefores. Here's what it says. Science is an attempt to interpret the facts of nature. So it starts off by affirming that science is kind of a neutral thing, which we know it's not, has biases, but it's at least it's an attempt to discover nature. Two, Christian theology is an attempt to interpret the words of the Bible. So science is trying to interpret nature. Theology is trying to interpret the words of the Bible. Three, God created the universe and is responsible for the words of the Bible. So it's saying God created both of those things. Since the Bible repeatedly declares that God cannot lie or deceive, No contradiction can exist between the words of the Bible and the facts of nature. Therefore, any conflict between science and Christian theology must be attributed to human misunderstanding or misinterpretation. And such misunderstanding or misinterpretation do not cast doubt on the integrity of Christian faith or truth. And I would add it wouldn't wouldn't cast doubt on the infallibility of God's word. It only indicates that further research and study is needed. This quote is by Dr. Hugh Ross, who leads Reasons to Believe, and his PhD is in astronomy, astrophysics, and physics. But notice, he's not making an astrophysical argument. He's not saying the Big Bang occurred because we see, and then throwing out a lot of words we don't understand. He'll do that later. But he starts by addressing the actual issue. Now, I don't know that he's actually responding to the Young Earth slide I had before. I'm just trying to say, look at the difference. One begins with the argument that scripture is already interpreted and we understand it, so everything else is wrong. Almost putting Christians in the position of this all-knowing truth, which is not inconsistent if it's revealed by the spirit. The old earth view begins with, wait a minute. We know that scripture is infallible. We also know that science is the discovery of God's attributes. He doesn't lie, he's consistent. Therefore, if there's some incongruency, it's because we're finite beings and we don't understand it quite right. You pick your side. The second one seems to ring true to me as a more humble posture to take because it seems to say maybe our interpretation sometimes needs to be placed in context. Now, we already know that when we interpret the Bible, we have to put the words in context. Many of the words in ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek have multiple meanings. So we have to look at the verb tense. And there's people who do this all day long in seminary and all across the nation. They they struggle and they debate over what the words mean. That shows me that it's not a scientific certainty that that word means what it means the way the young earth creationists might say. But I'll leave it open because maybe God has spoken to them and told them the true answer but you need to just consider there's two sides to this. The old earth is coming from the view of if they conflict, maybe that's part of the context we should be considering. Okay. So go to the next slide. Just kind of summarize it. A young earth creationist casts the debate as one between scientific apologists and a literal interpretation of the Bible. So they're always trying to say, you're trying to say that we're not, you know, that the literal interpretation of the Bible is false. And that's not really what old earth creationists are saying. Rather, they affirm a literal inerrancy of the Bible, but point out that the answers can often be found by correctly choosing among various interpretations of the same literal text based on the context it was written. Now, the great example of this that we're going to be talking about later on, for example, is the six literal days. The word in Hebrew is Yom. It has three meanings in Hebrew. The young earth creationists insist that it's never been used in the Bible except to describe a 24-hour day. And the old earth creationists say, no, it has multiple meanings. And by the way, it has to have this meaning because look at the universe. Why would God lie to us? We're going to use that, put it in the back of your mind. That's going to be kind of the summary of their argument. But before we go there, let's go to another famous trial. Skip to the next slide, will you? All right. Joshua 10.13, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. That's Joshua 10.13. Here's Psalm 104.5, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Anyone know what those verses mean? Anyone know who those verses were used against? Those verses were used by the Catholic Church in 1633 to convict Galileo of claiming that the earth revolved around the sun. Look at those verses again, now that we understand the context. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Now you guys know this is a reference to when Joshua had the sun hold up an extra whatever number of hours so that he could continue killing the enemies. This is one of the miracles in the Bible that was brought up at the Scopes trial. But they're not even questioning the miracle at this point. They're just saying, the sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Do you see anywhere in there where it says that the earth is the center of the universe? Do you see anywhere in there where it says that the earth is the foundation around which everything rotates? So the earth is here and the sun moves around it and the moon moves around it and everything else that moves around it moves. Maybe Psalm 104.5 is clearer. Who laid the foundation of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Well, clearly it says it should not move, right? The earth doesn't move. Can't you read what it says in Psalm 104.5? Galileo was tried in 1633 by the Catholic Church and the Inquisition. And he was found guilty He actually pleaded to a lesser charge because he was so ill by the time this happened. He was excommunicated. Because these literal words that are placed right here on the slide that you had just before you clearly indicated that the Earth, and I put the word clearly in quotes, by the way, clearly indicated that the Earth was the center of the universe. And so when Galileo invented this telescope that he kept improving upon, and looked out into the heavens and started realizing how bodies were in motion and they were moving. And as he started to realize, even the, like using a pendulum, that there was something going on, that the earth was itself moving. And when he adopted Copernicus' theories about the sun being the center of our solar system and that bodies were moving around it, the Catholic Church excommunicated him. Now, the good news is they finally apologized for doing that. Anybody know what year they apologized to Galileo? Right, good, good, it's close. 1992, they finally apologized to Galileo. 1992, they finally uh, acknowledged that they were a little harsh with Galileo, that it turns out that modern science does show that the earth does, in fact, rotate around the sun. But they kind of held out to make sure, just in case somebody came forward at the last minute, all right? Now, I'm not bringing this up to make fun of the Catholic Church. You know that I do that in another CD, okay? I'm bringing this up because this is exactly the same philosophical framework that's adopted by a young earth creationist. You take the adopted view that the words are literally the way you have already interpreted them to be. Anything that does not fit within the framework, therefore must be wrong. Now today, three, four hundred years later, we can look at these same verses that, by the way, were written in the King James Bible. We probably have better interpretations now. And you look at it and you think, it doesn't say that the earth is the center of the universe. That was just their interpretation of it. Well, you know what? That's exactly what we might say to a young earth creationist or what a young earth creationist might say to an old earth creationist later on. It was your misinterpretation. But at least it sounds like it rings true that the one who's acknowledging that misinterpretation might be the reason we're not understanding the fullness of God's majesty seems like it could work they made a huge mistake with the trial of Galileo when we talked last week that in America the Scopes trial showed the silliness of the church to a national audience on the radio and by the way I found out it wasn't just played all over America it was actually broadcast all over the world the Scopes trial so everybody could see how silly Brady was when he took the stand and tried to defend Christianity and couldn't do it the world already had this view of, I mean, the world, of course, by the 1900s knew about the solar system, and we knew that the church had excommunicated Galileo, and that it was a huge mistake. And the thing that I found in researching the trial of Galileo that made it so interesting is the Pope that was, the well, one Pope before the Pope that actually excommunicated Galileo, he kind of acknowledged that the Copernican theory was probably true. They had actually talked to Galileo about it. It wasn't like they just, you know, we always think of the the evil Catholic inquisitions. They bring him before him. I mean, Galileo traveled to Rome numerous times to speak with the Pope and explain his theories. And most of the time they were adopted and they knew that he was a brilliant scientist. But the reason they had to ultimately try him was the same reason anybody would want to get rid of the words the way he's presenting them. The church was afraid. Remember we identified fear last week. Fear was the number one reason that people do what they do in these kind of contexts. They were afraid that if Galileo was able to question one verse in the Bible and show that their interpretation as a church was incorrect, that might open the door to other interpretations being incorrect. This is at a time when the Catholic Church held the view that only the church could interpret the Bible. So if their interpretation was wrong one place, you know, we have a slippery slope. Again, doesn't a slippery slope argument sound like the young earth creationist view we just looked at? So things for you to think about. All right, let's go to the next slide. Here is, I'm not gonna go through each one of these for you, but here is some things to think about when you create your own views about what science does. Let me just give you some hints. Is the model that's created understandable? Is it easily understood? Is it technical? And if it is, are the technical parts written and confirmed by people with appropriate expertise in that field? Are the assumptions, look at the assumptions in any model. Do they make sense? Do scientists agree with them? Are there problems with the underlying assumptions? What about the supporting data? Is there any supporting data? Who agrees with it? Is it all coming from one side? How is it applied? Does the application make sense? Are there any contradictions in it? Where are the contradictions coming from? Okay. How is the scientific community agreeing with this? Alright, is there agreement or disagreement? Are you the only person saying it? If there's an error message or there's an error methodology to it, a plus or minus, are people using the extremes in their example? Or are they just using regular statistics? These are all important in looking. We're going to go through these in a second to see how they're applied. And finally, what's the technology that's being used? What's the data that's being used? How old is it? How reliable is it? And you guys have this job on your own. I'm not going to do it for you. You have to evaluate the evidence for yourself. I'm not going to tell you which one's right or wrong because I probably can't tell you with certainty which one's right or wrong. But you have to evaluate the competing claims and figure it out. And then we as an entire church have to figure out a way to agree on at least a framework because we're just killing ourselves. All right. Let's look at some observations to, ex- to put some meat on how this works. Go to the next slide, Alicia. Here's an observation. Okay. Let's say I'm presenting it to you guys as a scientific exercise. And you're going to use this framework that you're now developing in the last five minutes. To analyze these complex mysteries of the universe. Here is the observation. Light travels for hundreds of thousands and often millions of light years before reaching the earth. It's an observation and I'll tell you up front that both young earth and old earth and even secular scientists agree that light travels for millions of years. The question is how could light travel for millions of years if the earth is only 6,000 years old and the universe is only about 10,000 years old how's that possible? Put it in this question, how does this affect a Genesis view that the earth is only 6 to 10,000 years old? Go to the next slide. Here's the young earth response. First of all you have to look at the observation. Look at their assumptions. They begin with the assumption that the six days are literal and they begin with the assumption that the earth is no more than six to ten thousand years. So this fits their model. We talked about that they use the genealogy and the six literal days and they come to the assumption that the Earth must be this much. So we begin with that assumption. Here's the conclusion. If you believe the Earth is 6 to 10,000 years old, the universe is about that same age and light has been traveling for millions of years, how do you square the two? Well, number one conclusion. The speed of light is not constant. Initially, the rate at which light traveled was much faster than it is today. That was the initial answer. Same framework that we used before, the, the the same framework they're using. We know the text is literally true and we've already interpreted it so therefore science must be faulty. Where could it be faulty? Well it could be faulty in telling us that light travels, we know it travels today at a certain rate, but what we don't know is how did it travel in the past? Okay? So the first answer is the speed of light is not constant. Well, the problem with that is it's been shown to be constant. And actually even young Earth creationists now accept that the speed of light is constant. At first they didn't accept that, but now they do. The other thing is, think about it, for you to claim that the Earth, the universe is like 13 or 30 or whatever billions of years old, to bring it down to 6,000 years, that would have to be some pretty faulty mathematics on the speed of light. It would have to be really out of whack and really fast for a certain amount of time. So that didn't work. So here's the current explanation. God created the universe with the light already having traveled. So that when the earth was created, like think of the star here and think of light traveling, he kind of drew the line so it was just just right before it got there and then said, go! And then light hit the earth. So that's why Adam could see stars the minute he was created that came from hundreds and thousands and millions of light years away because it had already traveled in the thing so not be the first time that if you guys saw the Truman show remember that how everything in his world was created for him okay young earth creationists like the Truman show they like that because they their beliefs are very similar to fossils in the ground were put there by God like older rock were kind of made to look old you know like God kind of went around and painted a set for us and then put us all in there and said go I'm not going to tell you this view is invalid but I want you to go back to your framework for you to understand the view it means that God must create the earth with these things existing but I think that later you'll see that the old earth creations have even more astounding answers you know for example just to give you a preview a young earth creation would say the stars exist in the heavens because God wanted us to behold the beauty and the, mag- you know, the magnitude of his creation and that the entire universe was created for that, even though we can't see it, but like some of the distant light gets to us and we'll magnify them that way. I don't disagree with that. But an old earth creationist would go even a step further. That That the universe is so big and it's so vast in ways we could never understand because the laws of science only operate so much in a universe of that size. And if you want to get technical, they'll say that like, for example, the second law of thermodynamics, which governs how how matter breaks down into energy for life to exist on Earth requires a universe that's as big as ours. If it were any bigger, it would the the that that formula would would break down too slowly for life to exist. If it were any smaller, it would happen too quickly for life to exist. So in an old earth scientific view, they would say God created stars and universes that we can't even see that are so big just to sustain life on this one little planet for us. But not in a way that violates the laws of science, he actually did it in a way that we should even be more amazed because his laws of science operate. He would go to all the trouble to build all that so that gravity worked, for example, that he didn't have to actually hold up the earth in his hand and make it look like there was gravity, you know, like gravity really was existing. And to have that, you need those kind of bodies going on. Look at the old earth response on the next slide for a second. Same question, okay, here's the old earth response. Their assumptions, we need to analyze theirs just as well. They claim that the word yom, which is the word for day in Hebrew, has possible meanings like 12-hour day, 24-hour day, and long period. Okay, So that's their assumption. They start with an assumption that the word, which, by the way, is a true assumption. The word does have three meanings, but they're assuming, of course, that it's the longer period. So they're making an assumption that we've misinterpreted the literal day. Second of all, they make an assumption that the speed of light has been found to be constant. And that is actually true. It has been found to be constant. Based on that, their conclusion is the universe was created by God at least many millions of years ago. And our interpretation of Genesis should reflect that reality. So they come to the conclusion that we might have misinterpreted the words. When there's three possible words, we might have picked the wrong one. We might have picked the one that made more sense to us originally. Or the one that we thought magnified the Lord the most, but now if we really think about it, maybe looking out into the heavens and realizing what's going on, maybe we just picked the wrong word, and the other one actually magnifies him even more, maybe, according to their view. But you see that you've got to look at the framework. One, starting with an assumption that the words are totally true the way we've already got them, so therefore science is wrong. The other one is saying, well, science is just discovering the face of God in different ways in his nature and his great creation. Maybe we didn't get it right. Maybe we're the finite ones here. Okay? And yes, old earth creations tend to give more credence to science because they think science is being conducted by scientists who have credentials and we should wait to see what their results show because we should theoretically always be able to reconcile it with God because God's the creator of everything. Let's do another observation. Dinosaur fossils have been discovered by many different scientific teams and places all around the world. These fossils have been dated, put them in quotes, many millions of years ago. Question, how did dinosaurs fit within the creation account? Let's go to the young earth response. Their assumption is, again, the earth is only certain years old and also very important assumption to their dinosaur theory. Death could not occur in the animal kingdom before sin. They find verses in the Bible that say that sin, we already talked about this in our series on heaven, that sin is what caused death in mankind and the animal kingdom. So there was no death before sin entered the world. That means there was no death before the fall of man in the garden. That means there couldn't have been millions of years of dinosaurs because they wouldn't have died. Okay? Very important base assumption. Here are the conclusions. One, dinosaurs don't exist. That was the original one that didn't fly. As more and more fossils were discovered, that one wasn't doing very well. Okay, So that one was scrapped. Second one, and this is a common one you'll hear from a lot of Christians, no one has ever found a complete dinosaur. The reconstruction of these animals is based on sheer speculation and bias of the reconstructors. Okay, there is some truth to that. There are some animals we've never been able to fully reconstruct. But when the spine is about as big as this building, we gotta have an idea that he's big, all right? The fact that we don't have his tailbone is not going to stop us, all right? But, again, this argument began to fall apart as science progressed, and as more and more dinosaur fossils were found and more and more complete dinosaur fossils were found, people started to realize, maybe we do have these big creatures living on Earth. So. Here is the current thinking, just so you get an idea of where we end up with. Most young Earth creationists now admit that dinosaurs roamed the Earth. They still have a problem, though, with them dying, because there was no death before the fall of mankind, according to their theory. Okay. So here's the current theory. God created the dinosaurs, on, I think I should say the fifth day of creation, that's when he created the animals. Okay, so God created the dinosaurs along with all the other animals. Later, they were preserved on Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was certainly big enough to hold every species of dinosaur, since most of them were about the size of a horse. Now, let me, this is, this is I want to I I point this out, that just so you guys know that I don't read one-sided literature in a this is a book by Ken Ham, Jonathan Sarfati, and Carl Wieland. It's edited by a PhD guy. I'm not sure what their credentials are. But these guys are on the front line of young Earth creationism. They dedicate, just so you know that I'm not silly, they dedicated an entire chapter in their book to explaining how the brontosaurus and the T-Rex were able to fit on the ark. Okay? And they're talking about the cubits and how big it is and how you know many rooms and how many train cars. So so for example, just so that you know that I'm not making fun of this, I mean, they're really, their view now has shifted completely from there were no dinosaurs to we don't know how big they were, we don't know what they were like to okay, they were pretty big, but they still fit on the Ark. The thing for me that misses the point is I'm not concerned about the Ark because my view is they died millions of years ago, they didn't even make it to the Ark, but again, here's... Here is the assumption. It's not the eight or the six or the whatever days of creation. It's the no death in the animal kingdom. They read verses from the Bible that seem to imply, if you read them, that sin is what causes death. And we all know that to be our theology. Sin causes death. But old earth creationists, and most of the church, by the way, when they're not talking about creation, acknowledge that death... And sin are results that happen in humans. It doesn't say that about animals, per se. Animals don't have souls. At least I don't think they have souls the way humans have souls. The consequence of sin is death, yes, for humans. I don't know that to be for animals. In fact, half the church believes it has nothing to do with animals, that animals are like trees, like vegetation, that they go through seasons and cycles. They don't have souls. And sin doesn't cause death in animals because I'm not even sure that animals can sin in the first place. Okay, so we're setting up like a strange test that man's sin introduced death to the entire animal kingdom. All right, I'm just trying to present it to you so that you could see that because of a view they hold on to, now they're stuck with trying to fit all the animals on the ark, including the brontosaurus. Whereas the rest of the old earth creationists, let's go to their slide, they have a different view entirely. They're just saying, look, all evidence points to dinosaurs and other extinct animals living millions of years ago. The verses about death resulting from sin apply only to human death. There's nothing in them. If you look at them carefully, that says anything about animals. So they conclude dinosaurs roamed the earth on the fifth quote-unquote day. Again, going back to reinterpreting the word day to mean a long period of time. They eventually died out. And then man was created on the sixth day. Okay, So they were there, then they died. Then millions of years later, God created man. What's helpful to us in those contexts is we could do a word study on where the verses they get animal death as a result of sin. And in fairness, I've looked at them. And we could all look at them together. It would take us a long time because there's a lot of verses. But it's the same thing like with the Earth being the center of the universe kind of thing. Like you read the verse, you look at it, and you think, Okay, I can certainly see that this is saying that the wages of sin is death and all these things about mankind. And I just don't see where the animal part comes in. Like, I just, I, it's not even in there kind of thing. So, and even at times when it says like, like, let's just say the Bible were to say that, you know, I'm paraphrasing that sin brought death to the creation. You know what I mean? Um, those are words that are, I think, used metaphorically as opposed to meaning all of creation. Because then you'd have to assume that it brought, you know, that that trees never lost their leaves or went through cycles or plants didn't germinate or anything like that until man fell. And I I don't know. I mean, I don't know that, I, I I don't agree with that, but that's kind of the base assumption, okay? Just so you guys know where it's coming from. I'm leaving it so that you guys can evaluate. I don't want to comment too heavily on this, but I don't think we should be spending... I mean, if we're not credible about the dinosaurs, I think it's more credible to just say that God put the fossils in the ground to confuse us rather than trying to figure out a way to put them on the ark. Because it just seems so inconceivable to me that like, something that happened, like, no in the ark was what, like 3,000 B.C. or something, let's just say? So that 3,000, you know, so if only 5,000 years ago the dinosaurs were walking around the earth and nobody recorded this, I mean, it just seems a little odd, you know? I mean, we have history of the Egyptians going back, so like, why did no other culture, including the Hebrews, write about the dinosaurs, you know? All right, let's go to the next one. Here's another one so you can see. This is about the Big Bang Theory. Observation. The universe appears to be constantly expanding as if from a central point. Question. How does the Big Bang Theory relate to the creation account? Okay. All right. Young Earth View. Go to the next slide. Here's the base assumptions again. We only have six to 10,000 years to work out. So, they point out, the young earth creationists point out, that the earth is not equally spread out. Here's their conclusion. The existence of galaxies contradicts the Big Bang Theory. Galaxies are clusters. And the Big Bang Theory requires that matter be equally spread out. Therefore, any spreading was caused by God having spread out the universe at its inception. To their credit, young earth creationists do acknowledge that the earth is spread out. I'm sorry, that the universe is spread out, excuse me. And also that the verses in the Bible describing the heavens correctly use the Hebrew term for God didn't create the heavens. It says God spread out the heavens. They actually identify correctly that the Hebrew words do in fact say in the Bible that God spread out the universe. Now, I'm just going to take a quick little tangent here to tell you, this is one of those amazing things in the Bible where when you ask yourself, how the heck do people walking around in the desert, you know, two or 3,000 years BC, know that the earth and the heavens were spread out? You know, this is one of those things where only God could have told people that, that things that we would discover in the, in the 20th century about the Big Bang Theory from like 1970 and on, <laughs> we would discover really the Big Bang Theory, that they were known to the Hebrews in the desert. And by the way, another interesting note, if you will, just because I'm a kind of a geek about this stuff, that the same verse talking about the spreading out is the verse that they used to actually nail Galileo eventually. <laughs> so they misinterpreted it big time. They actually missed it on two counts. But look at what the young Earth creationists are saying. It, it's not crazy. They're saying, yes, we acknowledge that it's spread out. But the existence of galaxies disproves the Big Bang Theory. And if you read this book... And any other book by young Earth creationists, they love galaxies. They're hanging on to them because galaxies imply that there must be some gravitational pull to make the galaxy. You guys have seen a picture of the Milky Way, right? It kind of looks like a swirl. Well, that means that there had to be a gravitational pull making that swirl. I mean, if the Big Bang happens and matter just goes like this, how do you get swirls? I mean, that's not supposed to happen, especially if it's happening instantaneously. So they were really loving the galaxy thing for a while, kind of sticking it to the scientific community like, ah, what do you make of that? And their books right now still hang on the galaxy thing. Only problem is, galaxy theory was so 1992, all right? And in the Big Bang Theory, which was, you know, really developed in the 70s and 80s and was getting, you know, back in 1992, the Big Bang Theory could be proved probably like at a 98%, you know, there were still some And by the way, admittedly, galaxy theory was one of the big problems that seemed to stump a lot of Big Bang theorists. Like, that is a good point. Now, by the way, young earth creations didn't think of the galaxy theory. They just found some guy questioning it, saying this is a problem. And they hung their hat on it like he himself was the new savior, you know. This guy was just a secular scientist who was attacking the Big Bang theory saying, you got to explain galaxies, it doesn't make sense. And like, yeah, like what he said, you know, that guy. Go to the next slide. Here's the, the old Earth response. Here's their base assumptions. The Big Bang Theory has been proven, I put it in quotes, by scientists to a mathematical certainty. We're writing now in 2005 where the Big Bang Theory actually has been in almost every reasonable mind in science, and again, unless you believe in a worldwide conspiracy of scientists, everyone in science now believes that in the last 15 years, We've now almost proved it to a mathematical certainty and beyond, there's almost nobody who would reasonably question it. All evidence supports the theory. And as for galaxy clusters, in 2002 and forward, we finally figured out the riddle about galaxy clusters. They've now been explained by the discovery of radiation, which exhibit the correct level and distribution of polarization. I don't know what that means. You guys all understand that, of course. But basically what they did is they found the correct evidence that showed that gravitational forces and polarization were going on during the Big Bang that allowed the formation of galaxies to occur. The theory was if these galaxies occurred, we should be able to see some evidence of what was pulling them together. And without evidence, it doesn't make sense. Well, as we got better and better telescopes that measured more and more accurately, we finally found the trace evidences all around the galaxies and said, aha, now we can... Conclusively, say that the galaxy thing is not a problem anymore. We found the evidence we were looking for to explain it. By the way, here's another thing that the old earth creationists use as an assumption. The Bible, in no less than 12 verses written by five different authors, claims that the heavens were created in the normal sense, that I'm sorry, that the heavens were not created in the normal sense, but rather stretched out. Several of the verses further use a verb tense that simultaneously refer to a continual stretching after the initial spreading out. So again, it's not like old earth creations are looking out and saying, hey, science, tell us what's new and we'll just join that bandwagon. They're looking and saying, Do you guys realize the Bible already tells us the Big Bang Theory is true? Hugh Ross, who kind of leads this old earth guy, said back in like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, when he was confronted with problems about the Big Bang, he said the the answer is the Big Bang Theory. Why? Not because science is trying to prove it. It's because the Bible already tells us the Big Bang Theory happened. Science has yet to catch up and tell us how it actually did happen. But we already know it did because the Bible told us it did. Take a totally different view, you see. All right. So let's go to the next slide and look at their conclusions as a result of those assumptions. Okay. Rather than questioning all of science, they take it and run with it. They run with the ball and say... The Big Bang Theory still requires a big banger, which must be the Lord at the creation event. Let's take everything science has to offer, agree with them, shake their hand, and then tell them you've just proven God exists. Galaxy clusters pose no obstacle to the Big Bang Theory. We just talked about that. A criticism that was relied heavily by young Earth creationists, but that was based on data that's 15 years old. It's still in there because it's the best argument they've got, but unfortunately, it's just so 90s. The observations of scientists as confirmed year after year more ac- with the more accurate measurements are consistent with the very verb tenses used in the Bible. Here's the verb tense. If you look at Isaiah 40.22, it says in that verse that the Lord stretches out the heavens and also spreads them out at the same time. Somebody wants to look up that verse. The words are kind of curious when you read them in English because it almost sounds like he's repeating himself. But actually, the two verb tenses in Hebrew imply something that only could be supernaturally given to somebody, that the universe spread out at once, but is still spreading out, you know, exactly the way the Big Bang predicts. Yeah, the stretches out is in a Hebrew tense. That means a continual stretching. While the spreads them out is written in a tense that's a past tense, as if it happened in one event. Just kind of interesting. And again, uh, like I said, that, that same verse was used... Against Galileo although I'm still trying to figure out why (laughs) it's one of those verses I'm like yeah doesn't say much about the Sun though does it all right let's go to the last one we're gonna do tonight and by the way we could go into a whole week-long series on each one of these I'm not done with the Big Bang Theory all those things I'm just just trying to show you how to use your framework it's like if you have the secret decoder ring tonight it's the framework okay here is another observation. Through radiometric dating, it appears that many of the Earth's rocks are millions of years old. The question, how does radiometric dating affect views on the Earth's age? Remember, the young Earth people, of course, believe that the Earth is six to 10,000 years old. They also note correctly in their base assumptions that radiometric dating often produces contradictory, if not ludicrous, measures of artifacts that we already know the ages of. You've heard this argument, right? You've heard this argument where they go, they took a radiometric date of a a monkey and it turns out he's millions of years old and it can't be, it's ridiculous, you know? Or they took a radiometric date of like something we built yesterday and it says it's 50,000 years old and we know it was built yesterday, okay? You've heard this, it's very popular to do this. So the conclusion is... Many factors have affected the constant used in radiometric dating. They believe that radiometric dating is not consistent and scientists use their bias to choose between different dates that they get and they finally tell you the one that they want you to believe. The constants must be off and scientists kind of pick and choose what they want. Here's what the old earth people say. And this is really important to pay attention to because this took me a long time to get. Radiometric dating has been around for a long time. It's getting more and more popular. It's getting more and more accurate. But it does produce anomalies. The reason is, and after I read what the old Earth people had to do, I went back to the young Earth people to see if they really did this or not. You have to use different isotopes to measure something. Does anybody even know You guys even know what radiometric dating is? You guys understand what it is? All right, here's how it basically works. Different isotopes, like carbon, have half-lifes that you can use to figure out how much is left. For example, carbon has a certain half-life and if you measure the amount of carbon left in a certain plant, animal, fossil, rock, whatever it is, it'll tell you how many half-lives have gone through it and you can predict based on that how old it is. The problem is different isotopes are used for different ones. Carbon can tell you something in the range of about 35,000 years old. In other words, you can't use carbon dating to date a dinosaur. The dinosaur is in millions of years, so the carbon will give you some wild reading that doesn't make sense. You couldn't use like radium or some other isotope to date something like a plant that's only been around for 10,000 years because, again, its half-life is so different. So in other words, you have to pick the right tool. Scientists will run a number of measures and figure out which ones make sense and then start to eliminate them. The young earth creationists have jumped on this and you say, aha, you see you guys get all sorts of crazy readings and then you pick the one that best suits you. Whereas scientists are saying we have to first figure out the range of its age and then use the right isotope. We start by using maybe carbon and if it doesn't work it yields some crazy reading that we don't believe. We use another one until we figure out maybe we're using the wrong isotope to figure out what era this came from. Okay. For example, if you find a mummy and it says it's millions of years old, you think, okay, I must have used the wrong isotope. Because we know that mummies were only around maybe like in Egypt 8,000 years ago or whatever it is. So I need to use like maybe carbon, but I can't use this other one over here. So I went back to the Young Earth Creations book and guess what? They have this whole chapter based on the problems with using carbon dating to date dinosaurs. That's the wrong isotope. You can't use something that only dates up to 35,000 years to date something that might have existed millions of years ago. Of course you're gonna get wild readings. The other things you'll see the young earth creationists say is other factors may have affected carbon dating. Nuclear blasts in this century when we're testing things. They even go back to the speed of light may not be constant. It's like, wait, I thought we addressed that already. Volcanic activity. And then of course the mother of all explanations when the flood covered the whole Earth, it changed carbon because everything that was existing on the Earth at the time turned into fossil fuel. So, while the old Earth creationists believe that millions of years ago, dinosaurs, plant life, everything were compressed for millions of years to create carbon like coal and fossil fuel and all that stuff, the young Earth creationists believe it happened 4,000 BC or 3,000 BC when the flood happened that the, the weight of the flood covering the entire Earth just pressed it all down and made it all then. And increased the amount of carbon in the world so carbon dating is not accurate. I think the new Earth creationists do have, or the young Earth creationists, have a very strong point about the fact that radiometric dating is wrong sometimes. But science themselves admit that they make mistakes for a number of reasons. One is, When you're trying to measure something based on a half-life of an isotope, if it's been contaminated by other things around it, like, for example, say you find a bone fragment. If the bone fragment has been hollowed out and has other minerals that have crept into it over thousands or millions of years, you don't know all the time whether you're measuring the bone fragment, per se, or things that have contaminated around it and gotten into it. And there are mistakes. Um, I don't want to downplay them they'll give you a range sometimes of hundred thousand years plus or minus okay which sometimes is meaningless but if you're saying that dinosaurs existed anywhere from hundred to fifty million years ago plus or minus 25 million you're still nowhere near you know the creation events in, in a young earth view I mean you're, you're magnitudes of millions and millions of years off to be able to squeeze it into six thousand years old The other part of it is the bigger the sample, the better the testing. So they've made a lot of mistakes testing a person, for example, because they've got a fragment of a skull versus they test a mountain range or a a rock formation. It's a completely different thing. But you see that those things you have to take into consideration and that's why when a scientist takes something of a bone and later revises it, later revises it, what he's doing is he's discovering he made mistakes. A young Earth creationist will always attack that and say, you're just, you don't know. Well, and I think the scientists will say, you're right. But we're narrowing it down and trying to get it. It's not a perfect science, but at least we have orders of magnitude to tell us, like, okay, so maybe I can't tell you when the first human fossil is. Maybe it's 10,000, maybe it's 30,000, and there have been numbers all over because it's just, it's too big of a range, and the error factor is big. But I can tell you for sure that, you know, that brontosaurus over there Is nowhere near the last five million years or whatever it is i mean i guess the only thing i would say to you in all this is i'm throwing a lot out at you tonight but i'm hoping that you just start to identify that our problems are based on our assumptions our problems are based on our framework our problems are not based on a belief that one side believes that the literal that the bible is literally interpreted The other side just says, nah, let's just ignore what the Bible says and and believe whatever we want. Both sides believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. The problem is both sides don't agree on how it's to be interpreted. One believes that it's already been interpreted, it's already over, and everything else that doesn't square with it should be thrown out. While the old earth creationists at least believe that maybe we need to leave room for the fact that we are discovering God every day in science we're also discovering things about the Bible and our own finite natures. And just like at the trial of Galileo, we totally got it wrong. We might leave the door open if we're humble enough to admit we're finite and make mistakes that we might not have all the answers today either. Once you open that door, you'll find that a lot of amazing things happen if you accept that second view. Now, again, I'm showing my bias about an old earth view. But I think most of that is kind of because the assumptions that the young earth view makes leave a lot to be wanting. And if you start to adopt the older earth view, it's not just that we explain what happens in Genesis. Genesis is the smallest of the issues. Once we start to explain those things, you start to see the wonder of the Lord in so many other ways. You start to see that he's written about this in the Bible. You start to see that the amazing things of science actually prove God. And I guess that's where I want to end tonight, really, with this. I want you to get a framework so you can pick between the two. But I'll tell you that personally, the reason that I got so excited about an old earth view was not because I wanted to throw out the Bible. I was raised to believe that the first 11 chapters of Genesis were a myth can believe that. My church actually said they're not only not literal. (laughs) They said they were a myth that we're not even supposed. They were just a story. I mean, it's a Bible-believing church, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, that doesn't square with the Lord. If the first 11 chapters are a myth, could the rest be a myth? Could I ignore the rest of it? How about that part on premarital sex? Could I ignore that part? Like, that's my first part. That's a myth, too, you know? And so is that part about stealing, by the way. You know, I mean, after a while, the whole Bible breaks down. But at the same time, I wanted to listen to what the young earth people said, and I just thought, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, there's got to be a different answer. The first time I I heard an old earth creationist explain Genesis from a literal point of view, and yet explain how all these things came together, I actually walked out and thought, I think for the first time in my lifetime, I may see somebody prove the Bible as opposed to spending all our time talking about faith. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying faith has no place. You guys know that we spent a lot of time talking about faith and its meaning in our lives. But when it came to scientific things, for the first time, I saw that if we adopted a view that God was the creator of the universe, that God was letting us discover him through science, that it was possible that every word in scripture would not only be shown to be true, but it would show us how amazing he was and that scientists would eventually discover God just on a different path. And I see that every day when you watch the discoveries that are going on, when you watch people, even a person like Albert Einstein at the end of his life, come to the conclusion that based on everything he's seen, there must be a God. The guy who starts off as a complete atheist and probably one of the greatest minds of our time comes to that conclusion. And even scientists today, more and more people, as they prove their theories to a greater degree of certainty, still are nagged by certain questions. How did it all begin? Where did it all come from? So you might be the smartest guy and figured out all this stuff about it, but you still haven't explained how it got here or why it's here or how it's possible it could have gotten here this fast. And that's where I think the value of understanding this view comes in. Not so we can just make up a reason for people to believe and go, no, 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 the Bible has no problems. Let me explain them to you. It's also because we can actually go the other way and say, I actually think that science will eventually lead you to our God. That's a pretty bold statement to make, but I think it can be made. All right. So no more philosophy on this. This is just for you guys to adopt it for tonight. I know it's heady stuff, but I wanted you guys to at least think about it. You know what an interesting quote I found about Darwinism is that part of the blame falls on us that we encountered Darwinism as a attack on our institutions of Christianity and yet never gave the world an alternative. Now, some people say that we gave them the creationist literal interpretation thing, but I don't even think we've given them that because we've been fighting for so long. We can't even get along then until we stop fighting and actually agree on what it all is about, we can't present it to the world as an alternative. So that, to me, is the biggest loser. The biggest loser, I think, is us in our evangelism attempts. But if you really think about it, the biggest loser is all the people who are rejecting Christianity because we look like fools. I mean, while we are trying to out-spiritualize one another and the young earth guys are calling the other guys like apologists and fools and the old earth guys are so angry at the young earth guys for being ignoramuses and we're like back and forth like this there's like millions of people dying every day who don't know about jesus because we look silly we look like fools and that's the crime i think that's being committed i don't know how we're going to resolve that divide i don't think there's anything i could say to those people who wrote that book you know like don't you think you should have a degree in the right thing before you talk about it you know like i don't think there's anything i could bring up you know Or don't you think it's like possible or this or that or, you know, like why would scientists have this universal worldwide conspiracy or why are you the last person on earth that thinks a big bang didn't happen, you know, but I, I don't think you could speak into those people. That's the crime.